All right, before I begin, <laughs> I, I love how I have to give a disclaimer before each uh, book. So, I just practiced the first page, and I gotta tell ya, I have not the voice for this, but I'm. you're gonna get a good cackle every once in a while <laughs> as I try to switch characters. I have not read this book before, and... Um, I'm not practicing or anything. This is just a quick and dirty read of it. So, enjoy. Fire the Spirit, The Journey of Sam Mahoy by John Pontius. Chapter 1. Jimmy. Jim Mahoy stuffed the tractor keys into his pants and bent to ruffle Jimmy's hair. His son's temper was still aflame. Stop it, Daddy, he said, pouting. You hurt the kitty, Jimmy. That's why she scratched you. No, kitty hurt me, Jimmy countered with perfect two-year-old logic. She was afraid. You need to hold Kitty easy, like a baby. Be nice to Kitty. You be nice. Don't talk to Daddy that way. Kitty hates me. You hate me. I don't like you, he shouted, his arms rigid at his sides. Jimmy, that's not true. I love. Just then, Mom called everyone to breakfast. Jimmy spun around and was gone before Jim could say another word. It was a typical exchange with Jimmy. Not typical in its anger, but typical in its abruptness and in Jimmy's surprising certainty that he was right. Just as Jimmy disappeared around the corner, the spirit whispered to Jim, This is the one. Jim was stunned. His heart cried, Oh no, not Jimmy. The feeling did not subside as he j joined his family for breakfast. Jimmy was a vividly happy child. He was always busy, always challenging, and always experimenting with his new world. He was unusually willful, seldom willing to take a second seat, even to his parents, and yet he was unselfish and loving. He started talking at a young age, apparently out of the sheer necessity of having a way to take control of his little world. He spoke with a vocabulary worthy of a child several years his senior. His hair was bright red, almost orange, and he possessed a sudden Irish temper. He was the youngest of seven and the joy of every member of his large family which consisted of his two brothers and four sisters. Jimmy's dad, Jim Mahoy, was a man of medium height, almost as broad across the shoulders as he was tall. He came from a long line of burly Mahoys who were four generations, who for four generations had coaxed crops from the fertile Utah Valley. He was a quiet man, wise in his own way and deeply spiritual. While his education stopped one year short of a high school diploma, he could add a column of numbers at almost any length simply by glancing at it. He could multiply, divide, figure, square, root, and convert from metric to English measures all in his head. As breakfast ended and each, member, each family member piled their dishes into the sink, Jimmy's mom turned on impulse just as Jimmy ran from the kitchen after his big brother Sam. A strange feeling of concern touched her, but she had things to do. She smiled and busied herself with assigning cleanup and chores to the other children, to the older children. Jimmy's mom, Laura Mahoy, was 42, a blonde beauty from California. She was soft-spoken and through the years had grown infinitely patient. Still, Jimmy had inherited his quick temper from her. It made her chuckle to watch him stomp his feet and put his fist at his hips, on his hips. Sometimes his face would turn red, simply because his two-year-old vocabulary did not have enough words in it. She saw herself in her youngest childish child's fiery ways. Sam almost fell over as Jimmy eagerly wrapped himself around his brother's leg. 
Sam set down the milking equipment and knelt in front of his little brother. As he did so, Jimmy flung his arms around Sam's neck, so that their noses were almost touching. Please, Sam, please let me go to the couth with you, he begged, his lisp somewhat exaggerated due to his excitement. Jimmy's lisp was completely absent at times and only surfaced when he was upset or especially excited. Sam smiled. He loved it when Jimmy called him Tham. Sam and Jimmy had a special relationship, one which neither understood, yet one in which they both rejoiced. Because their family was so large, the last three children had been tended and raised as much by the older children as they were by Laura. Consequently, each of the babies had bonded with one of the older children, creating an almost parental relationship between them. Jimmy was Sam's baby. They were bonded by the purest love siblings can have. It wasn't uncommon for Jimmy to run past his parents to Sam to seek sympathy or to show a hurt. It was certainly to Sam he came to seek justice from, or more commonly, revenge on an older child. He was almost never disappointed. You have your pajamas on. Big boys don't milk cows in pajamas, and I have to go now, Sam told him. Besides, Sam knew what a bother Jimmy was in the milking parlor. It took as much work to keep Jimmy out from under the cows as it did to milk them. I will dress me, he said, pulling at his pajama tops with chubby little hands. I can milk cows and feed the baby cows, and you can take me with the cows, please. Sam was the second oldest after 16-year-old Emily. He was 14 and stocky like his dad, but not at all eager to farm for a living. He hated milking cows. At 14, he was nearly the strongest boy in his school and the slowest afoot. He could lift the back of a VW Beetle, but finished last in every race he entered. He was quiet, made friends slowly, and was often the brunt of teasing. But when he found a friend, that person remained his friend for life. Sam had inherited his father's hands, but his mother's fingers. His hands were broad and powerful, his, strong, his fingers long and agile. Even at 14, few adult men could outgrip him. He had a heart so big and tender that it oftentimes felt on the verge of breaking. These were his blessings. His curse was that, without glasses, he was virtually blind. Behind the heavy lenses, he could see just well enough to get along. The thick glasses made his eyes look smaller, giving him an almost unintelligent appearance. He never caught a ball in his life, except perhaps on accident. He could not see well enough to catch anything, so if someone actually did throw to him, the ball usually hit Sam, which would make the other kids laugh. In a desperate gamble to give her young boy a chance to succeed when he was six years old, Sam's mother started him playing the flute. Why the flute? Because for some odd reason, they had one. He took it with delight, and by age 14, he was a surprisingly accomplished artist. He read music well, and his most beautiful songs came from deep within him. Music that was at times bright and prancing, sometimes soft and wistful, occasionally thundering and often brilliant. But even this talent made him seem old. The small silver flute looked misplaced in his big hands, and his peers misunderstood his gift. From a body that, from a body that big, one expected a grunt or belch, not a haunting melody. Consequently, he never played for anyone not directly related to him, and no amount of coaxing could convince him otherwise. Even Miles, his best friend, didn't know he played like an angel's dream. Sam lifted Jimmy and swung him around until he laughed. I don't think I can take you, Jimmy. Sam is in a hurry today. 
he said, using Jimmy's pronunciation of his name. Maybe tomorrow, okay, sport? Okay, Tham. I love you, Tham. You are my biggest, bethest brother. You milk cows today, and my me milk cows tomorrow and feed ba baby cows, he said, shaking a small finger in Sam's face. As far as Jimmy was concerned, they had a contract. Sam put on his most serious face and nodded solemnly. It was all he could do not to laugh at his baby brother. Jimmy loosened his grip on his big brother's neck. Just as they broke contact, Sam suddenly felt like taking him along. He was about to say something, but Jimmy was already off onto something else and out of sight. Sam heard the kitten complain as Jimmy picked it up in the other room. The love Jimmy felt for this kitten was not mutual. Sam walked through the garage and loaded the milking equipment into the old GMC truck. He stopped for a moment to examine his bicycle. He and Jimmy loved to ride together. They rode long distances while Jimmy astraddled the center bar, but when Jimmy had graduated from diapers, the bar hurt him. They taped a bath towel around the bar for a while, but that had a tendency to roll sideways. Dad had to help Sam weld another bicycle seat to the bar just behind the handlebars. Sam smiled to himself as he remembered how much Jimmy loved it. This way, he had his own seat and could hold on to the handlebars. They even welded on some footrests to keep Jimmy's feet safely away from the front wheel. Sam promised himself that after chores, he and Jimmy would go on a long ride together. Sam wasn't old enough to legally drive, but in a farming community, boys were expected to be able to operate all the equipment. Because of his size, he had driven early. Driving the farm truck was old hat for him now. As Sam turned onto the lane to the barn, he had that uneasy feeling again and almost went back to bundle up Jimmy and take him along. But Sam had work to do and he pressed the accelerator hard. He would hurry back. Chores usually took several hours, but this morning one of the cows, Rosie, had been reluctant, reluctant to enter the stanchion. I don't know if that word's right. <laughs> and it had taken longer. Sam fed the calves mixed chopped grain and waters for the pigs, fed 50 rabbits, broke open 12 bills of hay for the cows, nearly loaded 40 gallons of milk in 10-gallon cans out of the truck, washed the milking equipment in large sinks of scalding hot water, pressure cleaned the parlor floor, and started back toward the house. All along the half-mile lane back to the house, that uneasy feeling persisted, making the ride seem longer. He wanted to speed up, but if he did, the milk cans would slide off the truck. He came to the bridge over the big irrigation ditch behind the house. He glanced at his watch to see if there would be time to take Jimmy on that bike ride before his nap. It was two minutes to eleven. As he came off the other side of the bridge, he saw Jimmy's kitten standing on the bank. It was soaking wet. Sam had a sudden urge to look up and down the ditch, but the feeling was indistinct, and he, his need to concentrate on steering the truck across the narrow bridge quickly swallowed it up. Once beyond the bridge, Sam felt he should go back to the ditch, but the milk needed to go to the cooler. He sped up, and as he approached the house, his mother was standing on the back porch. Her hand shielded her eyes from the sun as she scanned the backyard. Mom, where's Jimmy? Sam asked from the truck, struggling to keep his voice calm. I was just looking for him. I heard you asking to go... I heard him asking to go with you to milk the cows. I thought you had taken him. A lump rose in his throat. No, I didn't. Laura swallowed, but calmly said, Well, he's around here somewhere. You check the chicken coop. You know how he sneaks out there sometimes. Mom, I'm going to go look in the ditch. His mother flashed him a frightened look. Why? He never goes near it. I saw his kitten by the bridge. It was soaking wet. I'm afraid he threw it into the ditch. Maybe he fell in too. I don't know. I just have a bad feeling. Without another word, Laura headed toward the bridge. The kitten was still there, licking himself off.
The ditch was full and moving slowly. They walked to the first bend and then to the next, but found nothing. Go get your dad, she commanded, and strode off downstream. Sam complied and trotted toward the house. Sixteen-year-old Emily bolted from the back door, alarm showing on her face. What's wrong? Why is mom walking the ditch? We can't find Jimmy. Go get dad, will you? Emily nodded, dropped the dish towel she was holding, and ran toward the south fields. Then she stopped, ran back, hopped on her bike, and raced away. Sam loudly called Jimmy's name. Seconds later, their only close neighbors came out of their porch. The Carters lived directly across the street and heard Sam calling. Without asking what was going on, they ran across to the ditch behind Mahoy's house. There was no hesitation. They just did what had to be done. The Carters were inactive in the church, but had been good neighbors for many years. Mr. Carter jumped into the water above his waist and started pulling boards from the dam. The water changed course and dumped into the drain ditch. He hung onto the metal frame of the dam and to keep from being washed away. I'll stand in the water here. If he's in the ditch, he won't go past me. Besides, if the, it will stop the water from going further downstream. Sam nodded. The ditch went underground shortly after it left their farm. Sam turned to rejoin his mother. Laura had walked almost a quarter mile and was in the middle of the hayfield. Sam was halfway to her when she suddenly jumped into the ditch and frantically called for help. Sam shouted to the Carters and broke into a, a run. Mrs. Carter shouted something about an ambulance. Sam got to his mother just as she was climbing out of the ditch with Jimmy in her arms. The little boy was blue and not moving. Sam tried to take Jimmy, but Laura ignored him. She quickly laid Jimmy on the grass and felt for a pulse. Sam rubbed Jimmy's arms. They were ice cold. Jimmy's eyes were closed, his lids almost black, his lips a dark blue. Laura bent Jimmy's head back and leaned over, blowing air into his mouth. A gush of water came from his mouth. With an icy calm, she cleared his mouth and blew repeatedly. She then pushed on Jimmy's chest. Sam didn't know what she was doing or why, but he trusted his mother. He knew thing She knew things he didn't, and was dead calm in emergencies. For Sam, time seemed to stand still. His father arrived, and following Laura's directions, she, he started pushing on Jimmy's chest. After a long time, Laura straight face, straightened, her face a mask of exhaustion and grief, was streaked with tears. Her eyes were puffy and her lips were purple and swollen. Oddly, except for being discolored, Jimmy's mouth looked perfectly normal. Jim gently pushed Laura aside and they changed places. Laura rhythmically massaged Jimmy's chest while Jim blew air into his son's mouth. After what seemed like a long time, which in reality was over an hour, Jim straightened up and felt for a pulse at Jimmy's neck. Tears coursed down his face. Honey, Laura, I don't think we should continue. Laura didn't seem to hear. Honey, it's it's no use. He's gone, Jim said softly. No, she screamed. He's not dead. We have to try longer. Do it. The intensity and volume of her response shocked everyone. Jim nodded and resumed his work. By this time, a sizable crowd had gathered. Some had walked, a few had driven tractors, and several cars had driven out into the hayfield. The wail of a long-awaited siren punctured the distance. Laura looked across the crowd of dismayed, sympathetic faces, and they stared helplessly back. A few glanced away. She looked at Jim and knew he could not stop working on her son to give Jimmy a blessing. Her eyes were frantic as she scanned the group of onlookers. Do we have any priesthood holders here? Someone give my baby a blessing, she shouted. The entire crowd took a step back. A dozen active priesthood holders among them. She flared at them. You, Rulon Carter, you're an elder. I know you hold the priesthood. You give my baby a blessing. 
Brother Carter was the only inactive priesthood holder in the crowd, and the only one who had not taken a step back. He hung his head. Sister Mahoy, I can't. I ain't worthy. I've been inactive more than 20 years. I don't even remember how. It was the first time he had ever called her Sister Mahoy. For years he had just called her Laura. My baby is dying. God will bless my baby. You only need to say the words, please, she pleaded. He looked helplessly to the left and right. <laughs> Every face he saw glanced away from him. A look of grim determination mixed with tremendous anxiety settled on his face, and he slowly came around and knelt by Jimmy's head. Tears were coursing down his leathery face. He placed his large, calloused hands on Jimmy's tiny head, and after a long pause, in a voice almost too soft to be heard, he said, Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinful man. Please forgive me, and please don't hold my sins against this little baby. Jimmy, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to live. Amen. <laughs> Take a break. What kind of book do you guys got me reading? <laughs> Shoot. Dang. Okay. The blessing was so simple, so direct and honest, that Jim Mahoy stopped working on his son and looked up at Brother Carter. Unexpectedly, Jimmy coughed, and a spatter of muddy water sprayed from his mouth onto Laura's dress. She gasped. Jim pressed his fingers to Jimmy's neck. I feel a pulse, he cried. People applauded. A hundred thank gods were mumbled simultaneously. Roll him onto his side. Here, raise his hips. Come on, Jimmy, cough it all out. People were laughing, crying, and hugging each other. Sam found himself hugging Emily. Other brothers and sisters joined them. Brother Carter knelt in stunned silence as he had been turned to stone. By that time, an ambulance had arrived, and Jimmy and his parents were loaded into the back, still working with him, urging him to cough and speaking words of love and encouragement. The ambulance was one of the old models that looked like a pregnant station wagon. A piece was missing from the oxygen bottle, and the drivers fumbled with it, trying to make it work. Jim grabbed it from them and got it going, but cupping his hands, by cupping his hands around Jimmy's face, Jim improvised a way to replace the missing piece. He ordered them to drive. They slammed the back doors and were shortly gone in a cloud of dust, sirens, and flashing lights. In those days, ambulance drivers were trained to do little more than transport sick people. The idea of trained paramedics treating someone at the scene was an idea still years away. Sam couldn't remember walking back to the house or putting the milk in the cooler. He couldn't remember finishing the rest of the chores, which could not be postponed, even for something as terrible as this. The worst part was the grief-stricken quiet. For a house full of seven kids ranging from 16 to 2 years, silence was an ominous thing. It was probably the first time in the house had ever been silent in the middle of the day. Emily urged the kids to complete their chores to take their minds off Jimmy. They plodded ahead slowly, each struggling with fear, hope, and disbelief. What little talk there was centered on the idea of Jimmy that Jimmy was breathing. Their hopes were that their parents and he would come home from the hospital together and their lives would be whole again. Emily spoke words of hope and assurance, drawing deeply from the fragile resources of her own hope, pushing aside logic and reason in favor of comforting the little ones. Sam walked back to the bridge. The kitten was still there, looking at the water as if waiting for Jimmy to return from it.
Mr. Carter had replaced the dam, and the ditch was once again full. Sam found a piece of wood and tossed it into the ditch. It floated away slowly. He timed it until it arrived at the place where they had found Jimmy. It took 36 minutes to arrive at the spot. He had heard that three minutes was the most a person could go without oxygen. He knelt on the bank and cried. When the phone finally rang, it was like a cannon going off in dead silence. For the briefest moment, no one moved. Finally, Sam answered it. It was their dad. The news was not good, but not without hope. Jimmy was breathing on his own, and his pulse was strong and steady. His body temperature had returned to normal. The only problem was that he had not regained consciousness. The doctors were amazed that he was alive. To further confuse the issue, his lungs were completely free of water. It was a miracle by any measure. The doctors speculated that he had been without oxygen for over an hour. They all agreed that if Jimmy did regain consciousness at best, he would surely suffer some sort of brain damage. At worst, he would never awaken. Neither parent came home that evening. Someone brought food, and Mrs. Carter stayed long enough to see that the children were tucked into bed. Her demeanor was kind and grandmotherly, and everyone appreciated her care. Sam cried himself to sleep, as did many of his siblings. Jimmy did not improve or deteriorate, but simply remained asleep, breathing easily. Each of the kids was allowed to go to the hospital to visit him. Each came away with the feeling that everything would be okay. The mood in the home brightened after several days. Laura refused to leave the hospital, so Dad came home each evening, ate, held family prayers, slept a few hours, and returned to the hospital. Sam tended to the farm. Emily watched the family. They would make do. After 14 days, Jim finally prevailed upon Laura to go home and sleep. She had eaten little and not bathed for over a week. She had changed from her muddy dress only after insisting that the nurse let her change by Jimmy's bedside. That night, Jim and Laura stood by Jimmy's bed, their arms wrapped around each other. Laura gently stroked Jimmy's forehead, and Jim held his small hand. The boy's flesh was warm and alive. In a few minutes, Laura would leave. Unexpectedly, Jimmy's eyes fluttered open and focused on his mother. Hi, baby, she whispered lovingly. Mommy, I love you, he said. Jimmy smiling softly and closed his eyes again. His breathing continued undisturbed. Jim and Laura hugged for a long time, confident for the first time that everything would be okay. They knew Jimmy could not speak or remember who they were if he had any brain damage. Laura hummed to herself as she made the long drive home. After family prayers, Laura tucked her loved ones into bed. Even Sam and those too old for such things were tucked in and kissed goodnight. After a long hot bath, Laura fell to her knees beside her bed. She shed many tears of gratitude for a blessed spark of hope. For the first time in many days, she climbed into bed with a peaceful heart. She slept for what seemed to be the entire night until she had a dream. She dreamed she was sitting next... No. <laughs> she dreamed she was sitting down to do genealogy. Their family group sheet grew large in her vision. Until she focused on the last entry on the page, she read Jimmy's full name, birth date, place of birth. Then her eyes drifted to his death date. 24 July 1965 that very day. Laura awoke suddenly and sat up in bed. Oddly, there was no panic, no grief, no wretching anguish, just peace. It was meant to be. It was a little after midnight. Seconds later, the phone rang. It was Jim. Jimmy had passed away peacefully just moments before. Gosh, dang it. <laughs> Seriously, what do you guys have me reading? <sighs> okay. Ah. <sighs> The death of a child is a tragedy felt by everyone in a small community, and Jimmy's funeral was an overflowing with people. 
A small, baby blue casket covered with countless flowers stood in front of the pulpit. All of Jimmy's family sat in the first row, with dozens of aunts, uncles, and cousins in the rows behind. Behind them, a sea of mourners flowed into the cultural hall and out onto the grass. <clears throat> Sam thought the funeral seemed to go on a long time, but in reality it was as long as only as long as necessary. Finally, the bishop stood and said, I was just passed a note that one of the family wants a few minutes. He returned to his seat. Almost a full minute elapsed in silence before anyone stirred. When Sam finally did stand, every eye in the large assembly, assembly turned toward him, but he did not feel them. He walked to the small blue casket, and without turning the face of the people, he brought... <laughs> brought... His flute to his lips. He heard his mother weeping and his father drew a ragged breath. Finally, he blew a quivering note and softly, ever so softly, he played, I am a child of God. It was Jimmy's favorite song, which he had played for Jimmy many times. The music was sweet, pure, and haunting like an angel's hymn at evening. Then, quite unexpectedly, <laughs> the music danced away, laughing, playing, bubbling with little songs Jimmy had loved and sung, primary songs his mother had taught him, nursery tunes and the theme from Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers, and others. Next came a thundering passage from Bach, and then a magical, aching tune from Deep Within Sam. At last came a lullaby. <laughs> The music was so pure, the tone so clarion and sweet, that the words seemed to float in the air. Lullaby and good night, may angels attend you. Lullaby and good night, my little one, good night. It was as if there were no one else in the chapel but Sam and Jimmy. And their love touched the hearts of every eye was flowing. Until every eye was flowing. The music ceased. Sam stood there for a long time, reluctant to finally say goodbye. At last, he gently laid the precious flute beside his Brady brother and slowly returned to his seat without looking up. This was the last time he would play the flute until Jimmy, in his joyful, innocent way, once again asked him to play I Am a Child of God. How much longer is this chapter? It seemed like an invasion. All the people who came into their home for hours they came, bringing food, leaving food, eating food, and clearing away food, and all the while they remembered, laughed, and cried. Some brought a photo or two they had taken of Jimmy, and others offered to help. Rulin Carter didn't come to the house, along with everyone else. Instead, he got on his tractor and built the hay that Sam hadn't been able to get to. It was his way of being there for them in their hour of need. Of all the flowers, food, and warm wishes they received in those days, Brother Carter's gift was the only one that touched their hearts. No, was the one that touched their hearts. <laughs> I don't have my glasses on anymore because <laughs> they're fogging up. <laughs> Brother Carter's gift was the one that most touched their hearts. Finally, the company all left, and miraculously, so did the clutter they brought. 
Jim and Laura collapsed onto the big sofa, and after a few minutes, the entire family gathered around them. It would have been a typical evening at the Mahoys, except that every heart was burdened beyond tears, and each had sought their parents in the hope of receiving comfort. Mother spoke first. Kids, you have all been so brave the last few days. I'm, I'm proud of you. But now that this is behind us, it's time to cry. <sighs> Are we starting up again? Oh, man. The kids exchanged confused glances. What I mean is, it's important to let your feelings of hurt come out. One of the worst things we can do is let Jimmy's death ruin something inside us or make us angry with God. The time will come when you will feel like crying for days and days. When that happens, I want you to know that it's okay and that you should go ahead and cry until there's no more tears. We will all understand. Mama, I already feel like crying for days and days, Beth exclaimed, her bright blue eyes wide and shining with tears. Beth and Angela were twins, blonde, blue-eyed, mischievous, and dressed in ruffles and ribbons. They were 12 years old, going on 21. Me too, Mama, Angela replied in her twinish way. They arose simultaneously and snuggled on either side of Laura, who tucked them against her. Mama, me too, little Rachel sobbed, not sure what it all meant. At five, and suddenly the youngest again, she had yet to fully understand what Jimmy was why Jimmy was getting all this attention and why he was spending the night somewhere else. She took a place on Laura's lap. The twins both reached up to take Rachel's hands. I don't need to cry, Benjamin interjected gruffly, lowering his voice for emphasis. At seven years, he was going through the tough stage. Jimmy responded, I used to think that big boys don't cry. I suppose when it comes to a cut finger or a black eye, maybe they don't. But when the hurt is coming from your heart, then it's okay to cry. Actually, I think if you don't cry, it will eventually build up inside until you explode with sorrow. If that happens, you'll hurt yourself, and maybe hurt others that you love too. For a moment, there was silence and a few sniffles from the twins. Finally, Dad knelt down. It was the silent cue for family prayers. They all shifted to the floor, but before he called on someone to pray, he said, In a few days, after we have cried all our tears, we'll talk again. It's been my experience that people sometimes feel angry after they feel sad. After that, they might blame themselves for what happened. I want to talk about those feelings because no one is to blame. Jimmy's death was my fault, Sam bellowed. <laughs> yep, here we go again. Okay. My fault, Sam bellowed. All of a sudden... No. <laughs> I tell ya, this is the hardest chapter. This is why I don't read novels. Okay. As if the burden of his guilt would burst his soul, everyone was stunned by Sam's fury. He jumped to his feet. I should have listened. He didn't have to die. It was my fault. It's the same as if I had killed him. His fists were clenched, his body rigid, veins standing out on his neck and face. He turned as if to leave the room, but stomped abruptly when his mother calmly asked, Was this what Jimmy asked if he could do chores with you? How did you know? How? He stammered, his face contorted with grief and confusion. Because just after breakfast, I had a feeling like I should keep him near me. That's why I thought maybe you had a similar impression. The point is, Sam interjected with a voice icy with self-indictment. I didn't listen. If I had listened, he... If I had listened, his mother interrupted, he would still be here too. If anyone is guilty, I am. 
I'm his mother, for crying out loud. <laughs> she choked back an angry sob. It was my job to keep himself. I... While I was washing dishes, Emily interrupted, her voice choked with emotion. I had a feeling several times to go find Jimmy. I could see the bridge from the kitchen window. If I had even been responsive enough to just look up, I would have seen... While I was feeding the chickens, Benjamin interrupted in a whisper. I felt worried about Jim, and I thought about the ditch. I just ignored it because I thought it was stupid. The ditch goes right behind the chicken coop. There was a painful silence. After a moment, Sam sat down on the floor, and everyone returned to their seats. I also have a confession to make, Jim admitted. Everyone turned their eyes towards him, including Laura. She had no idea what he was going to say. Three days ago, as I was fueling up the tractor, I looked into the backyard where you were all going about your chores. For some odd reason, you were all there. You were so happy and beautiful, and I thought to myself how lucky I was and how I loved each one of you. I distinctly heard a voice... I don't know if I can finish this chapter. Shoot. I distinctly heard a voice say, One of these will shortly be called home. Their work is done. There was a feeling of peace that came with it, and I knew that one of you would be leaving our home. He stopped for a long while as his body was ragged, racked by a silent sob. I knew it was from God. Because of the peace I felt, I have long known that one of these things Satan can't imitate is peace. I knew better than to try to beg the Lord to not let it happen. What I was hearing wasn't a prophecy as much as it was a loving word to prepare me for the last few days. That morning, as I was helping Jimmy because his kitten had scratched him, I heard the spirit whisper that it was Jimmy who would be called home. I don't know why, but I knew then, and I know now, that it was Jimmy's time to leave us. <laughs> then if it was inevitable, Emily asked aloud, giving voice to the question they all wanted to ask, why prompt so many of us to feel something that would have saved him? And why did we all ignore it? Why? It seems so futile and so, so unfair. <sighs> Jim hesitated before replying. Well, I don't know the answer to that. I still have questions myself, but I think it has to do with agency. In what way, Jim? This time it was Laura's heart begging for understanding. She had a master's degree in marriage and family counseling, yet nothing in her extensive training had prepared her for the devastation she had experienced in the last few days. It was obvious to all, especially to Jim, that he was struggling for understanding even as he was trying to explain it to his loved ones. Perhaps it works like this. Heavenly Father knew that Jimmy had to come home, that his work had been done. He wouldn't just strike Jimmy down. We have great faith that he wouldn't do such a thing, and we pray constantly for his protection. Perhaps Jimmy decided to throw the kitten into the ditch to punish her for scratching him that morning. Jimmy was a little like that, you know? <laughs> Somehow, Jimmy also fell in the water. Perhaps Kitty scratched him or hung onto him, and he got too close. I don't know, but he fell into the water because of poor choices on his part, not because God punished 
pushed him in or sent angels to do it or anything else like that. He fell in because of his poor use of agency. However, it was God's plan to call him home, so we allowed this error on Jimmy's part to accomplish that. Jim looked at his family lovingly. He forewarned us because we love Jimmy and the Holy Spirit always warns and protects. He forewarned us because it's our right to receive such promptings. We didn't listen because we were busy. Just like Jimmy, we used our agency unwisely and Heavenly Father used this also to complete his plan. I think any one of us could have stopped Jimmy from drowning, but since we didn't, Heavenly Father used our actions to bring Jimmy home. Heavenly Father allowed our weakness, including Jimmy's, to accomplish his divine will. Then what is the point in warning us? Laura asked, as much for her benefit as for her children. Because I suppose we have the right to promptings of the Holy Spirit, and because he wanted to teach us a lesson we would never forget. I don't think he took Jimmy home to teach us. I think he just used his passing as an opportunity to teach. I believe Heavenly Father loves us enough to even... To use even a tragic event like this to teach us a lesson we must learn before we can reach the celestial kingdom. What lesson were we supposed to learn from this? Angela asked dubiously. Beth nodded in twin-like agreement. What do you think we were supposed to learn? Jim asked in response. Angela thought a while and Beth replied, I think we are to learn that Heavenly Father loves us. I think it was loving and kind of him to warn us and give us the opportunity to save Jimmy even though he knew we wouldn't do it. Imagine how we would all feel if he hadn't told Daddy that Jimmy's work was done and that he would be going home. We would all feel sad like we had killed Jimmy ourselves by not listening or watching him closer. I think, Sam added quietly, that we are to learn to listen and obey the promptings we receive. At least that's what I'm going to do. I'll never ignore another one if I know it's from God. A chorus of, me either, followed. I think, Emily said slowly, her voice nearly a whisper, that he warned us because he loves us, not to make us feel guilty. I don't think he'd do that. I know he wouldn't. Laura nodded at her daughter. It breaks my heart that Jimmy is no longer with us. Her voice was soft but certain. Yet, he is sealed to us in the temple, and I know that he will always be a part of our family. His life had meaning. He brought us love, happiness, joy, wonder, and laughter. He brought us these, all these things and more. His being a part of our family had a great purpose, and when that purpose was completed, he went home to Heavenly Father. I promise each of you, and I promise Heavenly Father, that I will never forget Jimmy, and I will never forget the lessons he taught me in this short life, nor the lessons Heavenly Father taught us in his passing. This I promise. This I promise, Sad. Sam said to himself, and he meant it more than any promise he had ever made. All right. <laughs> End of chapter one. That was rough. Um, I'm blaming you all for not even warning me that that came <laughs> so early in the book. Oh, my goodness. Is this book going to be super hard to read? How many chapters are there? 20 chapters. All right. Well, we'll catch you on the next one. Hopefully, it'll be better.